You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network, with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 83. Today is Thursday, January 5th, and we got a little bonus episode from Wins Above Fantasy. I'm Van Burnett, joined as always by Steve Giswelli. You guys can follow us on Twitter at WinsAbovePod. I am at Van underscore Verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. We're talking early ADP takeaways, Steve, kind of nitpicking some some potential risers and fallers. Going to be a lot of fun. I know we got tagged in to uh, basically pinch hit this week, but couldn't be more happy to to jump on and and get in a little back-to-back weeks with you, man. Yeah, I think it's fitting. It's it's kind of like our our podcast spring training, right? Like uh, we're we're starting to ramp up, uh, our, you know, stretch out and, and and up the innings and things like that. Uh, I know you jumped in uh, an NFB fifty with uh, I think Adam or, or Yancey. Um, Yancey, Adam yeah, I yep, missed that. Nice. I missed Adam's league, but yeah, I'm, I'm a first. I'm officially in my first league. I nice. just gotta have the draft next. Yeah. My first. Draft official draft of this season starts today as this as this comes out on on the fifth. Um, the on the wire listener league with Adam Howe, um, so that's exciting. Um, we're in the early stages of our minor league draft for that dynasty startup that we talked about. So uh, I, I think it's fitting that we we, we stepped in and and, and did a a back to back week back on a weekly episode to kind of get back in the swing of things, uh, especially now that. Draft season's kind of kicking off. Yeah, totally. I, I've got the KDS settings lined up. Uh, my league is 10 out of 12 teams filled, so I should be shortly behind you, Steve, on uh, the first official draft. But I know we got our Dynasty League as well, where we're doing kind of our uh, first-year players or prospects minor draft, and then we got the majors for our Keeper League. So that will be a uh, that will be a fun kind of side topic at some point for a show, but uh, out of the gate, pretty fun going uh, Miguel Vargas and following up with Andrew Painter. I know you're feeling good about the pop in the draft room on that, Steve. Oh yeah, uh, talked about that a lot and definitely got that feeling um, when you know there was five other guys that 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 jumped in and said oh nice pick you know i would have went painter there oh man can't believe that those two just went so uh if anything um that's a success and and, and that was fun but i uh, i mean we're going to talk about him on the show but not only for dynasty purposes but i think andrew painter could be really useful and a, and a sneaky sleeper pick uh, for redraft in in 2023, but uh, that's just a little teaser. We can get into that now. I know you've talked a bunch about Miguel Vargas, how excited you are for there. So I think we got you know not only good prospects. I think the the stipulation was that they had 150 plate appearances or, or at bats, just because Fantrack doesn't track plate appearances. Uh, yep. Oddly enough. Um, so Vaughn Grisham was a nice little sneak in there because I think most people just didn't think he was eligible. So mid second round, uh, nice little little pick there by uh, former guest of the pod uh, Grant Washburn, um, or friend of the pod. Uh, he was on an episode of Wins Above Fantasy back in the day. 
um, to snag Vaughn Grisham there because he got under the at-bats threshold. If it was plate appearances, he would not have qualified. That's how close he came, which is uh, which is crazy and a, and, a, and a sharp pick by him. But uh, a long-winded tangent of saying I think that we got two guys that even though they're minors eligible, um, I think they could be you know helpful to a win now team which i think is uh kind of a the the sweet spot that you want to hit in most dynasty drafts especially for startups but really really excited that we were able to stag those two team uh, players on uh, our first official waf dynasty team oh yeah yeah it's always great to have the uh, proximity play and yeah grant washburn yeah shout out on that that was uh that was savvy grant um and yeah we're today talking about ADP, but a little bit more on the redraft side where, you know, it's at this state where you start seeing risers and fallers out there on Twitter. Again, we know that drafts are kicking off. Uh, But Steve, before we get into the names, because we'll get into plenty of the names, let's start high level, talk about kind of the the drafts that have happened so far, and then uh, we'll get into some early takeaways. But overall, just give us a rundown, Steve, because at this point in the season, you kind of have different makeups of drafts based on the NFBC, different formats. I know, you know, we typically like the best balls instead of mock drafts because you basically just draft your team and hold the players. And there's a little bit less management and monitoring that you have to do all year. It's a fun way to just kind of get some, you know, get some investments out there, start figuring out who your guys are, all that good stuff. But this year, I feel like I'm hearing so much about the gladiator format. So Talk about kind of the drafts that have been made up this year and also some of these formats out there. Before getting into that, uh, this is not really uh, a breakdown of the drafts or anything. It's just a a nice little nugget. But there's this new, um, on on the ADP section of of NFBC, you could actually have a draft board of... I was wondering about uh, that, dude, because you linked that. And I was like, this is a nice little view. I went to the ADP and I clicked on that. I'm like, wow, this is is definitely new. This is awesome. I know we we sort of get on NFBC because their app takes about, you know, uh, a half an inning to, to load sometimes. Um, uh-huh. Desktop but yeah, friendly. Yeah, yes. for sure. But uh, this is a, an awesome little thing that they, they, they came out with. And you can see a nice draft board with all the color-coded stickers. And it's just a cool way of looking at, at ADP, especially, you know, if, if you're looking like round by round. That's uh, You know, they have, they have that uh, way to look at it. You know, it, it's tough. It's like, okay, this is, uh, you know, it's hard to sometimes do the math in your head like quickly. You're like, oh, what is ADP 75? Like you could see it like. Right now, oh, that's okay. In a 12-team league, that's uh, the beginning seventh of the round. seventh round. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a really neat way. So shout-out to NFBC for that cool tool. I, I thought it was really cool when I clicked on it. Uh, I could link it in the show notes as well, uh, uh, along with the standard link to NFBC ADP. I know it's uh, sometimes tricky to get there through like their menu navigations, especially prior year to ADP, but um, I digress. Um and I think this is just an important thing to, to note, too. It's so easy to quote ADP, and, and lots of people do it, but what makes up that ADP is super important. Like, you need to know what drafts went on because, uh, you know, a, a, a main event or, you know, TGFBI, which is, you know, a, a standard weekly fab format with, you know, seven bench spots and, and, weekly moves and Friday hitter moves is a lot different than draft champions, best ball, 
where you know you're just sort of setting your lineup each week um or or you know we're not even setting a lineup each week where it just picks your lineup and and, and there's no fab and you draft whatever 50 players so similar to nfbc 50s where there's no fab and you just set your lineups um but there are roster moves so all of these formats are important to consider right like there's only been two online i think those are online championships uh correct me if i'm wrong there's been five cut lines which is kind of the hybrid um best ball with those two fab period moves uh what raz slam um mimics itself off of i know we've done a few cut lines before i love cut lines i'm not very good at them mm-hmm. um but i i do love them because it's that nice okay hey it's only two fab periods and then you don't have to set your lineup um and then what there's been the most of so there's been 184 drafts that have taken place um, there have been 95 gladiator drafts, which is a new format this year. And I absolutely love it. I am definitely going to sign up for one. Um, I think there still should be some, uh, throughout draft season, but what this is, is, you know, a, a, as, as simple as you can get, it's 23 roster spots, no fab, no moves. And that's kind of why it's a, a gladiator. You have to just survive those injuries. Um, you can't, make any moves there's no you know it's not like an nfc 50 where nfc 50s where you just have that super deep bench that if someone does get hurt they'll be an automatic person that'll plug into the, the lineup with the algorithm that fills your lo- roster no uh and if nfc gladiator is just you know not a deep bench and you just got to survive um i think it's a really really cool format and obviously it's pretty popular considering that 95 of the 185 84 drafts that have taken place so you know more than half essentially um have been those so uh let let me let me test it let me test the theory here so i mean you would it stands to reason that only 23 roster slots and you got to keep all year there there's going to be a little bit of a tax on durability absolutely so for some of the injury risks like who's a good i mean it's interesting like jazz chisholm's ADP is 52 in Gladiator, and across all leagues, it's 50. So that's pretty minor. But who are some other, like, pretty wobbly, you know, uh, profiles that we could see if, if, you know, they're getting docked in a Gladiator league? I mean— Like, maybe Eloy? Okay, I could filter on just um, Gladiator drafts uh, right now. You could do that also on an FBC. Yeah, so Eloy's eighty, about eighty-two on Gladiator. Yeah, and I mean we're gonna get into it. I put him on the rundown, but Fernando Tatis is twenty-three. Like he's missing a month of the season. Wow. Yeah. You don't have a roster spot to to fill in there. Uh, he's an injury-prone player, but I guess the it's it's outweighed by the fact that it's still technically a best ball, right? And if Tatis is Tatis for five months or, you know, four of the five months of the year, whatever it is, five of the six months, um, it, it's going to be huge. Um, is, is is there an overall prize on the Gladiator So uh, that's actually a really good question. I'm looking at the rules, uh, prizes. So uh, if you win your league, you get 250. Um, if you come in second, you get... Uh, 125 and yes there is an overall which also plays into the yeah to the fernando tatis that also is a big thing to consider with drafts leagues with yes. overall you're going to take more risk to try and go for that overall prize the the overall prize is uh, uh 7500 dollars so um entry fee is 50 bucks so 
I am definitely going to do one or two of these. That's uh, uh that's good. I, I best ball isn't my best strength, but this is just too cool of a format to uh, to um, to pass up on. Um, and it gives out overall prizes all the way down to twenty fifth. So um, pretty cool. But there's obviously a lot of um, a lot of players already. I mean, there's been ninety five drafts. There are fifteen team teams. So that's how many entries, right? Uh, 95 times 15, if I can enter it in my calculator. So there's already 1,400 entries, 1,425 entries. So uh, it's going to be a a really popular and obviously extremely difficult to win that overall. But still, hey, you you, uh, get, you know, you quadruple your your money if you you come first in your league, which which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a great format. I, I need to try to sneak one of those in as well. And then, not to put you on the spot, Steve, but I'm just kind of putting on my, you know, for the for the non-industry players, because this time of year is when we start getting more and more listeners for like typical, you know, Yahoo or CBS leagues, whatever they are. The best NFBC ADP to look at if, you know, to, to try to remove the noise, I guess. I mean, TGFBI makes... Yeah, I would do TGFBI because once those roll around, yeah, yeah, and you know the main event obviously is like the best players, but there is that overall factor that that makes it slightly different. Um, but I would look at like the main event or, or TGFBI, something like that, um, um, to to mimic sort of uh, um. The like best ADP for it. yeah, standard yep. ADP. Uh, I mean, you could also, you know, um, whatever whatever site you're looking at. Like, I know those those ADPs aren't always the best, and they're kind of buried in how you know Yahoo or CBS just ranks the guys. But look at that, and then kind of look for outliers. I know Gray over at Rasball does an article basically uh, against like Yahoo ADP, ESPN ADP, CBS ADP, and like basically hands picks like whoa what is going on here like why is you know michael harris ranked 200 and then therefore his adp is 50 spots lower than where it would normally be Mm -hmm. uh over at nfbc or you know uh at rasball or something like that so um pay attention to that i think it's a, a a nice way to sort of you know beat the draft room quote unquote if you know someone that uh, a player that's just ranked lower for whatever reason but yeah to, to answer your question i would look at like main event and uh, and tgfbi tgfbi happens i think towards the end of february so like beginning of march yeah. they'll, they'll be out and then most of the main events take place in march i mean i would also just sort of use a date range too right like i would look at like the middle of february to the middle of march to get like a good okay like these are mostly standard drafts with weekly fab um, whereas now it's going to skew towards best ball. Um, so keep those things in mind. All right. Well, shifting back to kind of the ADP boards as we're looking at them today, these are all drafts. And I think that there is, you know, like gladiators, honestly, kind of an interesting one because on one hand you, you're knocked for durability if, if you're kind of a fragile player. But on the other hand, those players typically be, tend to be the boom-bust ones like a Chisholm or like Tatis, like we were saying. Uh, but looking at all drafts right now, just the high-level takeaways, I mean, certainly compared to our pitcherless mock draft, 
Steve, where, you know, it's a mock. We wanted to draft guys that we were excited talking about. Relievers or closers were pushed down. I think the first one might have gone in the fifth round. We are definitely seeing more of the same in terms of the the tax on elite closers. So maybe give us a rundown of, of kind of the early board as it relates to closers and what your kind of diagnosis is on uh, what, what it's going to mean for your drafting. If you want, you know, one of the elite, elite closers, uh, which I think might sort of fall off at least ADP wise at Ryan Presley, or, you know, you can kind of go a little later to, to Ryan Helsley. Uh, you have to spend a top 70 pick currently, um, which is, which is asking a lot, you know, that's the top six round pick in a, in a 12 teamer. Um, currently in, in 12 teamers by ADP, uh, Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Classe are both going inside the second round. Uh, Diaz's ADP is 22, Classe at 24. So, yeah, uh, it, it's expensive to get a high end closer. Um, again, it's his NFBC. The you know you don't. There's not as many fab periods. You know something where you have daily fab where you're able to pick up a closer uh, first come first serve or something like that. Um, that changes a lot, a lot of things. There's always going to be an extra tax on closers in NFBC format, so keep that in mind. But And, and maybe catchers a little yeah, bit. I, yeah. I feel like that happened last year when I was looking at like kind of general, you know, outside of NFBC drafts. It seemed like I never had to go as early on, on catchers because of that scarcity. Um, but yeah, definitely on relievers, there's seven in the top 70 picks right mm-hmm. now. And I would be shocked if by the time like home league drafts roll around, it's anywhere near that clip. But the idea still holds true from last year that if you want one of the set it and forget it guys that are elite, then you really got to pay up. Um So in your league, Steve, I mean, are we doing, we just did our lessons learned, New Year's resolutions. I know we said that we wanted to secure one, but I mean, what feels like the the spot where you're going to jump in? I guess you know the Bautista, Iglesias, Helsley. Um, I'd probably pass on Jansen just because I think the skills are shaky. But Doval, uh, even though you know, is Doval going to be the full time closer in San Francisco? Um, probably, but uh, I don't know. But maybe I would try to grab one of those in NFBC formats um, just because there's kind of a, a a decent fall off. I mean, I really like David Bednar, which is a much more palatable cost at pick 107. Mm-hmm. But is David Bednar going to be on the Pirates and going to be a closer um, come March? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, so that, that that's that's a decent risk. Um I, I think I, I, I kind of like the, the, the second tier range with like Daniel Bard, Clay Holmes uh, around pick, you know, 100, 120. Um, mm-hmm. That might be an area that that, that I shop in, um, you know, and, and sort of pass on maybe someone that, uh, like a Felix Batista because I, I can only see his ADP going up. Uh, I know we have some risers there, but I'll, I'll add Felix Batista to that, to that list. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, I yeah, I think 
when we talked the last show, we were kind of in the, on the same page. I think we were saying around like 70 to 120 range, not really paying up for the elite elite. So, um, yeah, I think that makes sense. And those guys, Class A and Diaz, leaping into the second round have, you know, consequently pushed some top, top bats out of the second round, which we'll talk about as well a little bit later. But first, we are going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. All right. So, Steve, any more uh, takeaways? I mean, I know we're always looking at the the SP landscape. Uh, how are you feeling about kind of the SP shy top of the draft this year um, and just pitchers in general? Um, it's interesting. There's not a pitcher uh, being taken until pick 16 at Corbin Burns. Uh, Garrett Cole is right behind him. Um, but it, it, it seems like the, the run for starters uh, uh, happens a little bit after that, from like round three to round six, seven in, in a 12-team or so, from like pick 30 to 80. Um, most of the SP ones quote unquote go um and i i think this year i'm going to want to get one of those back end sp1s from like uh you know uh there's any, so many any, anywhere yeah. from like rodon to alec manoa like count me in on, on any of those guys as as my my first first pitcher or rodon for reference is at pick 53 and manoa is at pick 68 so yeah, you know, and guys in there are like Julio Urias, Zach Wheeler, Max Scherzer, Shane Bieber, Luis Castillo, Max Fried, Kevin Gaussman. Those guys, uh, I, I, they're back end SP ones, but those are bona fide SP ones. So I, I like that. And then there's another really, really nice run from like pick eighty to one twenty, where totally. I think I, I might <laughs> try and double tap and f- identify those guys that are being drafted as SP two threes that I think could be SP1s, like, you know, George Kirby at 105, even like Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez at 118, 120. Those are really, really good values, uh, and I like a lot of names there. So if if this holds, and I think it should maybe, you know, this is it's more of a general range, so some names might come in and out of there, but it seems like those might be the SP clusters, and that's kind of where I want to shop back end SP ones and then load up on these high upside guys being drafted SP two threes um, and try to pick uh, a few winners out of there. Yeah. I I could really see myself doing a a double tap between that, that same batch you're talking about where, you know, I could see myself with like a Gosman Christian Javier combo, Mm -hmm. uh, which would have to be back to back picks or, um, the more I'm spending time with Manoa, the more I'm kind of warming up to that ADP that's kind of higher than some of his stuff was last year. I know he's kind of a volume workhorse and the K's should kind of tick back up, but I could see like a Manoa Musgrove or a Gossman Javier. Like I really like kind of that back to back. And then, you know, we're both on the record saying we like McKenzie, Tyler Glass now is right there. So yeah, I think, uh, I think I'll probably skip on that first group because there's not necessarily the elite elite. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised that Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns are getting a little separation now. At the start of the draft season, you had to go all the way to like, I mean, I know ADP wise, these guys are still at pick 16 and 19, 
I'm a little surprised that they've moved ahead of like a Paul Goldschmidt or an Austin Riley who, you know, Mike Trout is going after those guys. Like, man, those seem like such top tier hitters to be going after Cole and Burns. And that's not to mention the ones going right after him, which is like Pete Alonzo, Rafael Devers. So I'm a little surprised that Cole and Burns are moving up. I won't be mad if it happens because I think that's even better for that whole hitter hitter philosophy if you're in like the Mm -hmm. sixth slot or or the fifth slot and then you can wait and jump in on that 30 to 80 range that you're talking about for pitchers i think there's just players that have success taking a pitcher in the first round or a pitcher super early so um can't argue with it if it works so I, i think that that's kind of um I feel like the the starters sort of always creep up uh, as more drafts get on the board, and you know maybe it's a it's a product of the of the best ball overall type of thing too, um, for uh, for for ADP uh, with pitchers. Um, but I I think I could see uh, you know Burns creeping up to the back end of the first round uh, as we get into full fledged draft season. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it for sure. But let's transition over to some of the players, Steve. And maybe if you want to start with one that you're feeling uh, is getting drafted a little too early right now. Um, I talked about it last week, so not to beat a dead horse. Um, but I just cannot believe Bobby Wood Jr. is going with the seventh, uh, the seventh overall pick. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a product of, of, of round numbers. Like it's a round number syndrome. It was 20 homers, 30 steals, uh, which are amazing. But, you know, he was essentially league average with the bat. Like I said, a 99 WRC plus a 722 slug. Um, I just, you know, no matter how many steals a guy gets, like I do not feel comfortable. I, I don't want a guy in the first round that has like a, low 800 OPS. Like I want that to be closer to 900. Um, just because, you know, with that comes extra base hits and RBIs and homers and runs like for a guy to have a, a 722 OPS, um, you need to ask a lot to happen with the bat for him to justify the seventh overall pick. And, you know, Bobby with juniors, easily a guy that can make me eat my words and look foolish. And, you know, he might be going, he has the potential to go, one one next year right like he could be that good that's how talented he is uh you know uh i I loved him coming up i stashed him in a league where he didn't come up in 2021 but you know felt the upside justified that even to hold him all year um but i i think the peak might be a little bit further away just kind of like the kansas city royals team as a whole um, you know, I, I like it in, in two to three years, but I don't know if, you know, I'll let someone else reap the benefits if Wit is that top first round talent. Uh, I'm going to pass there uh, uh, at pick seven. Like, I couldn't pass on Soto or Betts or Alvarez or even Vlad Jr. Uh, at, at pick seven uh, to, for, to, to hope that Wit takes that next step with the actual bat i know all the other raw tools are there but um it's too risky uh for me in the first round yeah no arguments for me i mean on the pitcherless play the pitcherless player page his x average is 236 underneath that 254 so looked even worse there 
you know, the, the hard contact is right around league, league average, a little bit higher, 8.5% barrel solid, but uh, maybe one bright spot is that he actually, even with the 30 steals, he got caught seven times. So the intention to run 37 times with the bigger bases and everything, I mean, I could see him going berserk with like, you know, the, the homer to fly ball rate was a little bit low. Maybe he's 23 homers, 37 Not steals, a good, not a good like park to hit, to hit homers in. And that's I know, true. Like, you know, I don't that's think true. he has the raw power of like a Sal Perez, the, right? Like I, I know it definitely has like 30 homer power, but does he have like that 40 homer power? I know that, that came with, came in, uh, uh, a rabbit ball season or not when the ball wasn't dead, at least uh, the monster Salvador Perez uh, mm-hmm. year. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's I, early, I don't, yeah, it, it's early. Um, I love wit long-term um, just not at this price this year. Yep. And I think uh, moving down the board, I mean, you brought up Fernando Tatis jr. I think that's another really good one to call out fact that he's going to miss a month out of the gate uh once he's back there's definitely questions about if he can stay on the field he has not been kind of the image of durability and yeah overall I mean you can't argue with how much of a, a freak of nature he is when he's actually healthy and playing so this one is is kind of a head scratcher but maybe like we discussed this could look a lot different in kind of non-industry drafts because people might be swinging for the fences, if you will. And he had, so he had the motorcycle accident last year, right? And needed wrist surgery. And then uh, once the suspension sort of was announced, uh, he had shoulder surgery uh, in early September. So since the last time Tatis has played, he's had a wrist surgery and shoulder surgery. On top of that, he is missing a month of the season because of the suspension. Um, I think this is more risky than like the Bobby Witt Jr. pick. Like, you know, uh, past me would have been oozing at this upside. It's like, oh my gosh, like I have the chance to take Tatis at twenty overall. He's he was the first overall pick uh, a year ago, or you know, going to the drafts uh, a year ago, whatever it was. Um, this is just too risky in the early rounds for me with all of those factors. Uh, again, like let someone else reap the benefits if they get, uh, you know, uh, 40 homers and 25 steals and uh, from May to September for Tatis, like good for you. But, uh, I, I am not going to take that risk this early. Uh, just not, not even with the suspensions. Like the guy has had two major surgeries on his wrist and shoulder, like which are super important things to for hitting and hitting for power. Um, uh, but since the last time he's played, so um, just on that alone, I think it's hard to justify the uh, spending a second round pick on, on Fernando Tatis. So what, what what's our over under on games played with Tatis Jr.? I know it's a ridiculous <laughs> game to attempt to play, but I mean, are we thinking with all the injury risk? Like a uh, where would you throw the dart? One fifteen. So, so he automatically misses thirty. Like thirty. Thirty ish, right? Or what well, I mean there's an actual I think it's like twenty eight games, right? Like he misses twenty eight. Sure. I, I I think that that's the number. So uh, I mean with with the wrist and the shoulder, they're gonna wanna give him 
some rest and like they have you know bigger picture with bigger playoff aspirations with all the money that they've spent um, mm-hmm. and moves that they made and like they have the lineup depth with Soto and Machado um, maybe he DHs though. yeah he, the DH is there definitely um, and you know they they, they want him to uh, uh, who knows he might even be like a full-time outfielder um, come uh, when, when he's back in, in late April early May I, I was gonna say like a hundred. So like if he okay. if, if he has 140 games, uh, just eligible to even play this year, um, or like 135 games, like is you, you figure there's five of those that are like maintenance days. Like you know, is there one IL stint and it's close to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the reason I ask, two is major because- surgeries. Yeah, Steamer's got him at 125, which I think anybody would yeah, be happy with. That's, yeah. And and with the 125 is 37 homers, 20 <laughs> steals, 92-94 on runs and RBIs with a 283 average. Like, he is so good. He's like the new DeGrom of hitters. Yes. But I, I'm with you. It's too early. This is too early in the middle of the second round. But I'm kind of looking like I think it'd be hard for me – like Marcus Simeon's going at 38, like that starts to get into the range where I'd be pretty tempted. Of course, we're going to be watching how, you know, physically how Tatis is, um, you know, in the in the preseason yeah, and on this, Twitter this, and everything. This could, this could shoot up if he's like has a, a monster spring training, right, and, and looks super healthy uh, and, and eases all of those concerns. Like even if he does have that, that the April uh wash through the suspension like people won't care if he looks looks the part so yeah um, could be even costlier yeah that's that's a it's a good point because it, so can can tatis jr actually participate in spring training i believe so i think you can I think that's right uh, yeah you, even with the suspension it's just it's just the regular season games Okay. Well, yeah, that will be one of the and the there's top the, the the World Baseball Classic too, right? I, I'm assuming he's he's going to play for that if he is healthy. I mean, I I, I don't know. Like well, he had shoulder surgery in September, right? Like, is he even going to be healthy when he you know? Like, is he healthy when he uh, um when he comes back? Uh, it's four to six months was the was the estimate when the when the when the injury happened. So like his spring training could be delayed. So I would be surprised if he plays in the WBC. Um, but you know, yeah, uh, it's who it's knows? it's a good one. I think yeah, I, 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 we'll we'll talk more about where we're kind of jumping in. But I think that um, yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tempting if it's as late as like the fourth round, which we've seen him go. So uh, now let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit, Steve. And uh, to the to the positive side, and let's hear about uh, Mr. Andrew Painter, who you kind of teased at the start of the show. You and I got into the draft, and I, I kind of cited the old adage of "no such thing as a, a pitching prospect." And you said, "Listen, I understand, Van, but this is an exception. <laughs> Plant my flag. Andrew Painter is the real deal." I gave it a quick uh, Twitter video search and looked at some of the numbers, and it didn't take too much uh, to sway me. But talk to me about Andrew Painter. 
Uh, the Phillies obviously making moves to push for, for a window here. Uh, once Bryce Harper's back, Trey Turner, a lot of good vibes going on. Got Wheeler and Nola as well. Is Painter the real deal? What can we expect here? And talk to me about the ADP. Yeah, it was my New Year's resolution, man. I'm, I'm, I'm following through. Uh, one episode in, sticking with it, right? I'm like the guy at the gym uh, the first week of uh, week of the year. Uh, you know, don't be, uh, you know, constrained to y- your, your rules that you normally follow. Like, there's always exceptions. Uh, I think my direct quote was, you know, I'm the number one believer in Tinsonap. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Uh, one of the best ac- acronyms in baseball, uh, second to toot blend, uh, thrown out on the base pass like a nincompoop. Um, <laughs> but uh, Andrew Painter, I think, is the exception to that rule. And I think that, uh, you know, that 564 ADP, uh, if you could get him in that, at that price in drafts now, I think he would every single time. Um, Philly's going all in. He pitched at three levels last year, uh, single A, high A, and double A, and crossed the 100 innings threshold across those three levels and was absolutely dominant uh, at uh, every single level. Um, he had uh, a, a ERA below 2.54 at every stop, uh, and it was a decent sample at each side. Uh at each stop, it was uh, 28 innings at double-A, uh, 36 at high-A, and 38 at single-A um, or low-A. Um, the strikeout numbers were ridiculous, all above 34%. Um, didn't walk many guys. Uh, just has insane, insane stuff. Like, you watch the video, it has the super high fastball with ride, this snapping breaking ball like absolutely you know, you know everything mm-hmm. that you want to see um and i curve think ball, curveball the curve slider ball, the curve, and yeah he looks so smooth was one thing i noticed steve and like what's his height he's he six seven six six seven, seven, six, seven. like he, and looks he just looked yeah like his mechanics ace. did not look mm-hmm. like jerky or anything yeah. and i think like the, just the as smooth as he was it was like it, you feel a little bit better about the injury prospects you know what i mean mm-hmm, when you're not mm-hmm. seeing a guy like straining so yeah it's I easy mean, it's easy stuff right for him for a guy that's six seven there were some of those that guys could look awkward like you said like it's easy everything he does looks easy and, and the, i mean the adp is is kind of what you admit so is this like maybe a a best ball like fifty type of guy like you oh know. absolutely I'll be grabbing him in the back end of every single best ball that I do uh, if you do do a best ball with me please don't snipe me on on Andrew Painter um, but not but, a gladiator guy because of just the, the yes, risks grad- of he can't be on a twenty three man roster unless like it's you know announced soon that he has a good shot for the opening day rotation will make the opening day rotation which I think will get chatter um, come spring because. Like you said, like the Phillies are going all in, man. Like they have no reason. This guy got to 100 innings already last year. Um, yeah, Bailey know, Falter why, blocking why, him. I know he why, had kind of good moments, but why waste those bullets, right? Like uh, it's it's different with pitchers. Like uh, you know, you want to, you don't want those innings to go to waste uh, uh, in, in the minors. Uh, and from the looks of it, it looks like he he could be ready. So. Um, and I've heard pe- I've heard people Steve saying that it, it's almost a coin flip, or you know people who follow prospects very closely saying that 
it's it's a take your pick between like Grayson Rodriguez and and Andrew Painter. So it's like th- that's where I'm wondering: is there any, uh, you know, is there any pitching prospect that's definitively better than him? I think some people are saying no. There's not. No, you. I think you can make an argument for for him over Grayson. Um, you might be in the minority, um, but I don't. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. Yeah, well, it's a it's it's a really good one. Just kind of jumping around a little bit, I, I gotta I gotta check in on moving way up the draft board. I was a little surprised to see that that Goldschmidt is down at almost pick thirty here, same and price where he was last year, sort of, right? Like, yeah, I have last year's up. Let me look it up. <laughs> yeah, and and while you're looking that up, uh, going to Goldie's player page on pitcher list. You know, 35 homers, 121, or I'm sorry, 221 runs plus RBIs, seven steals. I get that the guy is in his age 35 season, but he's pretty much hit 300, if not more. Last year he hit 317. He's hit 300 for three seasons in a row. And man, there's just like this tax. Like, I really don't understand when you put him next to Freddie Freeman why Freeman's ADP would be at 15. And Goldie is is double that when same position and you know that Freeman had a low homer output last year, so I think there's just a little bit of that ageism or if it's kind of the vanilla factor or people thinking that he might get three steals and not seven or ten. Uh, but I think I would be thrilled if I got Goldschmidt pick four of the third round. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he was pick 48 last year, so basically kind of bumped almost, uh, essentially around, right? Like 18 picks you know, uh, in a 15-team that's close to it. It's close to around, close enough at least. So, uh, He's probably like top five by uh, the, the player rate, Rasball player rate. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, maybe that's a, a good draft this, not that, um, with, with, with Freeman or, or even Vlad, essentially, um, if you want to – uh, say you know, grab your first baseman and Goldschmidt uh, a few rounds later, and load up on like a slightly more scarce position, like third base or something, in, in the early rounds. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, that's, I think that's a good call too. It's playing with the numbers a little bit, but he is closer in ADP to Matt Olson than he is to Vlad right now on these boards, and that yeah. to, to me doesn't speak to the, you know the fact that he Agreed. led all first basemen last year. So Agreed. that's just kind of a a side note, but either way, you're you're paying up, and and we both like that uh, top tier for first baseman as well. So uh, we are going to get into some more guys that we feel are going a little bit too low or a little bit too late. But we're going to take our second ad break here. We'll be right back. Okay, so Steve, I saw this one on the rundown, and I was pleased. This was a name I threw out. Uh, when I when I guested on the Triple Play podcast with <laughs> David Mendelson and Art and those guys over there, but I was a little nervous to throw it out because I feel like there's some industry fatigue on Mr. Aaron Ashby with an ADP of 230. So just tell me everything I want to hear about why you feel like Ashby is going too late. Yeah, this one's uh, inspired by Jordan White uh, of PitcherList and in the Deep podcast uh, at Bunt Singles on Twitter. 
Um, today or you know, Tuesday, as we were recording this, he just was tweeted out uh, doing some research and discovered this disgusting changeup from Aaron Ashby, and uh, it's just a gif of one of the, you know one of the prettiest changeups that you could see that just you know falls off the table, and he got uh, got Wilson Contreras to swing and miss on it. Um, which just reminded me about how nasty Aaron Ashby is. Um, I think the numbers uh, on the surface last year, the 444 ERA, the uh, whip, which was, I think, 1-4, something like 1-4-3, which is, yikes, that is a tough mm-hmm. whip. Um, I think it's sort of creating a, a buying opportunity here, right? Like everyone and their mother were, was in on Aaron Ashby as a sleeper last year and you know, he had some awesome starts to start and then kind of hit a rough patch and looked like at times that he was breaking out and becoming this ace, but didn't fully put it together. But there's still a lot of things to like, right? Like um, the uh, the strikeout rate, it was close to 11 strikeouts per nine um, uh, at 26.5 percent um it looks like there could be some room for upside there i know it was a small sample in 2021 but in a minors he's had you know a 36 percent strikeout rate i'm not saying he can get there but maybe he could bump it up closer to 30 um oh, yeah. the walks were tough but it was still just 9.9 percent and like you know we've seen a lot of guys with with high walk rates that if they have this sort of stuff and ashby does they can get around with it you know a la uh, a, a dylan cease um, you know, I know that whip was tough, but a 324 Babbitt allowed, um, pair that with a, a 70% left on base percentage, you know, that's going to lead to a 444 ERA, but all of the area indicators, uh, have it, you know, much closer to like a 375, even uh, his XFIP at, at 329. So, um, you know, it, it's more of a stuff play, right? Like, uh, you know, he has yeah. four really good pitches, um, or you know, or at least the, the the breaking ball, the slider, and the changeup are are really good. Um, it's a great best ball play because yeah. when he's on, he's a machine. So yeah. if it can just you let the algorithms kind of do the work for you on pick and starts, but like yeah, that a couple of things to to piggyback, Steve. The fourth best ground ball percentage in the whole majors. So that right there, the strikeout, high strikeouts, high ground ball rate. Uh, you mentioned the 324 Babbitt, the slider, which is his best pitch for sure, with a like a 19% swinging strike rate. The slider had a 364 Babbitt, so getting extra unlucky there. Um, even the sinker, which is what kind of is the popular pitch to pick on with mm-hmm. Ashby, had a 30.2 CSW. I mean, that's you know well above league average. And that's what had that's what induced all the ground balls. He throws at ninety six miles per hour. Like this is when it when it's working for Ashby. It's what an ace looks like. He had he had five starts with eight or more strikeouts. Uh, he had a gem of an outing. I believe it was against the Cardinals, where he struck out twelve batters in one outing. And he hasn't even been able to go that deep into games because of the control. So it's like it's. I know we said that this is the wrong exercise to play of like who is this year's Dylan Cease or, mm-hmm. or, you know, Robbie Ray or whatever it is of like, you know, just fix your control and then you can break out. But if Ashby does that and just gets a little bit luckier, ERA-wise and whip, he just needs to get to like a 3-9 and, and a 1-2-5 and he's going to bring value just from the, the swing and miss stuff. 
this type of profile does not need much to break out. Like when you have this much swing and miss, when you're able to induce this one ground balls, you are not far away. Uh, and, and, you know, at pick 230, uh, I am taking that lotto ticket every time. Like, I, I you know, I could see Aaron Ashby being one of my most rostered players uh, if he sticks around this cost in 2023. Yep, yep, just 24 years old. So there's, there's plenty of development uh, for Mr. Ashby. And in that same range, I got to call out, because I'm curious on your thoughts, Steve, Andrew Heaney going at uh, pick 232. This seems like another great lottery pick. You know, I know last year he had he, he started off good and then he missed a lot of time with injury, but then when he came back, he basically put on just a lights out performance. I know it was with the Dodgers magic, but 35.5% K rate and a 6.1% walk walk rate. He had the ratios that Ashby did not with a 310 ERA and a 109 whip. Uh, he brought the slider back for the first time since 2016, and he used it 32% of the time. Like, this is, you know, right now on his steamer projections, 140 innings, 162 Ks, a 357 ERA, and a 113 whip. If the only thing holding that down is the volume, mm-hmm. that's not a bad bet in the 19th round to to take off with the Rangers. And, and with the DeGrom on the side, it's like there could be some some – some good clubhouse action going with that staff down there. And Texas has had some success. You don't think of them as, you know, a, a team like even like Milwaukee or the Dodgers or, you know, the Rays where you just sort of perk up when you, whenever you hear them sign a pitcher, but they've had some success, especially with these veteran guys, you know, like Lance Lynn had his breakout or, yeah. you know, his late stage breakout uh, with Texas. John Gray, just an example last year was really, really good. So they, they do well with these veteran type pitchers. Um, it's just the injury risk for me. Like, uh, it, that's the only difference and why I'll probably have more Aaron Ashby just because I think that he's a safer bet to throw more innings. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer of what Andrew Heaney did. Like, you know, I think the sweeper worked, uh, he was great when he pitched last year for the Dodgers. Like he figured something out. Uh, it's just a matter of him having to stay on the field, which, you know, uh, I know that's a risk with every pitcher, but I'd bet on Ashby having some more in, more innings than Heaney just because of Heaney's history. Yeah, more innings for sure. It, it could be a sneaky kind of IL play to to free free up the roster. You know, I I don't hate it personally when I've got to move a guy to an IL because yeah, it means I yeah. can go shop uh, yeah, that's, on that's the fair. wire. That's fair. But yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, and, yeah. and the hope for Ashby is that it's not so topsy-turvy that either he has it or he doesn't. Because that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you you witnessed my agony on that, Steve, between him and Rowdy Tillis oh, how many I times. Feel, yeah, I feel like I was a- adding and dropping Ashby and was adding. the bane of your existence last year. Uh, it, it, you know, in our text chain, that was probably one of the most discussed player. Uh, yeah, for sure. Us, but I'm yeah. ready ready to get hurt again on yeah. Ashby. And yeah, Heaney, uh, also very, very interesting there. Uh, again, shout out to the... The pitcherless player pages where you can look at, you know, one of the things Nick Pollock cites the most is the high lock, which is the high location, which you want for fastballs, and then the low lock for breaking pitches where it's the low location. And click of a button, you can see the league average. Heaney's high lock on his fastball, 58%. League average is 51 So he's doing a great job of hitting high in the zone. And then 
with his sliders, a 72% low lock compared to league average 63. So he's he is following the blueprint that, that you want there, the, the old Blake Snell blueprint, high heat and low breaking stuff. So I think, uh, yeah, both of those uh, I'm pretty interested on. And, uh, you know, when you look at names around them, it's not, you know, you, you picture yourself in July saying that Ashby or Heaney are lights out, and it just feels like you wouldn't be surprised if that happened. So I like both of those ones there. Great great uh, elevator anything pitch. Else? You, great elevator pitch. You, you got me in on, on both of them. There we go. There we go. Uh, well, Steve, those are some of the names that we wanted to uh, to highlight there. I know we still got a little bit of time left. Uh, maybe we can we can pull up uh, the risers and fallers list. I know a, a good tweet that that you've found out there and shared with uh, Frank Stample, former guest on the show. Frank, if you're listening, always love your your stuff out there. But Frank put out the uh, the risers and fallers, and you know there's a lot of kind of noise here. Some of it's just opportunity and movement or injury with like a Bryce Harper, uh, but I think. A couple that are interesting on the risers, in my opinion, starting with Zach Eflin, this is one with his move to the Rays. I mean, you just talked about how the Rays Mm -hmm. have the reputation of, you know, basically pulling off magic with any pitcher that comes in. Think of Charlie Morton. Think of a long list of other guys. But Eflin, you know, it was just the shortened season of 2020 when we saw Eflin with a 28% K rate. And I believe the walk rate, which has always been good, was just at like 6%. So that 22% K minus BB isn't so long ago. He's got a good curveball. He gets some whiffs with both that and the fastball. Um, I'm interested here, Steve. His his ADP shifted from 398. It's moved all the way up to 318. I think we can expect that that'll continue to go, you know, higher and higher to a point where he's probably going to be, you know, somewhere in the 200s by draft season, right? Mm -hmm. Agreed, definitely. And just for clarity, this is November to December ADP. So it's a comparison of November to December. And, you know, like we said, there is some noise in there. It's probably mostly just like draft champion stuff in November and then a mix of a few more leagues, like like we said uh, early in the show. But, yeah, um, I mean, Eflin has elite, elite control, and the Rays do well with those sort of guys. Uh you know, look at Drew Rasmussen with that low, low walk rate, what they're able to get from him, uh, Jeffrey Springs, things like that. So as soon as the Rays signed him, uh, my, uh, you know, my spidey senses or my Rays senses started tingling. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm definitely, definitely interested. Uh, yeah, like you said, Eflin was really good uh, and, a, and a good fantasy player before before those injuries uh sort of derailed his last two years but he still has that elite skill and if there's a team to get the most out of like one elite skill uh, that, that's his control uh it's the raise so I, i'm definitely interested and can sort of see him as like a like a, like a good pair to a heaney and a uh, uh an ashby right like sort of a, a more of a, a floor play i know uh yeah there is some injury risk still with, with efflin but i I, I don't think there's uh, as much like minor recurring sort of things. You know, hopefully he's just like past what what he's what he's dealt with. I know he's had some pretty bad knee issues and uh, things like that. So uh, the Rays do like to sign injured guys and, and, and try and get the most out of them too. So 
Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, they have a plan for him there to, to keep him keep him healthy. Um, they were able to get a good amount of innings out of like Corey Kluber last year, right? So, um, yeah. it, it's it's always good when 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 the Rays sign a a, a a a guy who would be interesting on his own. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'm in on the rise for for Eflin, and you know other things on there. It's like you know closers that sign that got a job, um, you know some prospects that that are getting some some hype, things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's still some interesting takeaways. You know, shout out for uh, to Frank for to putting together that list, and I'm sure we'll see some even cooler ADP market reports and, and risers and fallers as we get into the full swing of draft season. Absolutely. Give give Frank a follow if you're not following him. What are you guys doing? It's at Roto underscore Frank. And, uh, yeah, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on more movers throughout the offseason. But, uh, Steve, I think that kind of wraps us up here. Um, I know we're, we got some exciting drafts ahead of us, and we'll probably be on the clock tomorrow morning. Do we want to give any spoilers, talk a little live, live chatter on who we're liking for our next uh, – prospect draft or miners draft guy here yeah i guess because yeah we could sort of we could sort of do a little live workshop here like uh i know we're working off uh uh a, a, a nice list here but um you know because we're, we're in no danger of actually getting getting sniped um and no, no. i do want to save some names for um the, yeah we'll the get pro- a guest prospect on. show yeah. that we 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 will have coming up but um, a guy that I definitely yeah, want yeah. to potentially snag on, on this turn is Andy Rodriguez uh, of the Pirates. Uh, I, I know you sort of popped when I, when I brought up his name in, in the chat, but uh, and there was another tweet. I, I wish I saved it. Um, I forget who it was by, but it basically just broke down his WRC plus and you know, by age and for being, you know, as young as he is as, as age and basically being better than 30%, be- better than 30% better than league average. Um, that was a, okay. a hard one for me to come out. It's like almost <laughs> impossible for him not to be a really good hitter with just the, the WRC pluses he's put up at his respective age to level. So he is a super exciting prospect. Um, he came over uh, in a trade from the Mets that looks like it might be something that they regret relatively soon. I know they have uh, Francisco Alvarez, but Andy Rodriguez looks like a, a, an absolute star in the making. And, and it's funny because you know the the, the Pirates spent the first overall pick on a on a catcher as well. Um, and yeah, and it's kind of an eye roll that didn't they bring in in, Hen- uh, in Henry Davis Hedges? Yeah, yeah. So, and so, then they brought in Austin Hedges or yeah. something, and it's he, like, ugh. yeah, proximity wise, I know. But. Yeah, proximity wise, yeah, they'll probably be closer to when the Pirates are actually good, which who knows if they ever will be, but probably not this year. But uh, I like it, an though, exciting man. prospect a, a catcher, on the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and the, and the other one, and, and I do, I got to shout uh, Chris Welsh. Over at Prospect One, he's given great tidbits all the time on this stuff. But somebody that he is highly in on that that really got my attention is Tamar Johnson, uh, another pirate. Are we going and pirate pirate? Though, we might be going turn? pirate pirate, man. That's a bold move. But yeah, this guy just like sixty power, sixty hit. Um, I think that 
you know, his, his like OBP skills kind of play up in this league with our, our settings. So, yeah, I think, you know, Steve, we might, since we got the swing pick, we might be falling into a habit of, uh, you know, basically going, going Steve and Van each take one. But, um, I like yeah, it. Yeah, Tamar is 18 years old. So, you know, you talk about proximity yes. and he's a, he's a little guy at five foot seven. But, yeah, that future projection of 60 60 on hit and power is. Very tempting, and you know, man, I think baseball's about ready for the Pirates to have a, a team that isn't a complete laugh uh, on the diamond. So, uh, you know, even as a Cardinals fan, it's like, yeah, come they're, on, Rowanzi, Rowanzi got us thinking, and now it's like they're they, doing the compi- they're, they're, they're compiling the prospects correctly. At least uh, there's a lot yeah. of exciting guys. Uh, obviously, you know. Uh, he's not technically truly a prospect, but one of the most exciting guys in, in the majors is, is, is on their team already in O'Neill Cruz. So yes, um, there, there, there's a lot of fun stuff that, that is happening and, and will happen in Pittsburgh with uh, the, the, the farm system they've built there. Okay. Well, who would have thought we'd end on pirate pirate, but that is it folks. <laughs> Episode 83 wins above fantasy, a little bonus pod. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, you guys can find us every other week. So we will be back on next week, next Friday. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look to have kind of a, a prospects dedicated episode and hopefully get a guest on. Um, yeah, so we gotta we gotta figure that out, Steve. But it, it should be some good times ahead here. Yeah, yeah, pr- a prospect for for redraft leagues uh, for, for for clarity. So just guys, you know, like like uh, like my boy Andrew Painter there that we'll definitely talk about on, on that show. Um, for sure so looking forward to that so thanks guys for tuning in if you made it this far we would really appreciate if you guys go out and subscribe leave us a rating review on apple spotify wherever you guys listen but as a reminder you can follow us on twitter at wins above pod i am at van underscore verified and steve is at stav 8818 wins above fantasy episode 83 thanks for tuning in guys thanks for listening guys uh happy official start of draft season and happy new year too. And happy new year too. Yeah, yeah. The draft season is more important. Less right? important. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Later. Later. <laughs>